What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Tomahawk Show, presented by Uninterrupted. I am Andrew Hawkins, joined, as always, with my co-host, Joe Thomas, the first NFL offensive lineman in football history. Did I say that right? It's uh, usually the first lineman in NFL history, but... uh, Which is such a feat. You're such an award-winning journalist that you can say whatever you'd like, Hawk. Exactly. This is the Tomahawk Show for everyone that's been living under a rock. The last three weeks were the hottest podcast in the history of audio. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's me, it's Joe Thomas. We sit here, we talk locker room talk. I mean, the biggest thing for us is letting fans come in and, and sit down on conversations that we would normally have at the lunch table or in the locker room, and you guys get to be a part of that. And since we've done that, everybody's loving it. You know, we're Grammy-nominated. Uh, we were voted the best all-terrain vehicle by J.D. Mm-hmm. Power & Associates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so everything mm-hmm. is uh, it's moving, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we got my man Faceless Dan, as always. No face here having. Um, but always such a pleasure to be around. How you doing, Dan? Doing great. I take a little offense to when Joe called me on Twitter. Ass face. <laughs> I'm okay with nameless, <laughs> faceless, anonymous. It's going to get worse than that as the year goes yeah, on. Yeah, if you're that sensitive about AFD, Dan, we got some problems. <laughs> you're going to have some issues in the spring. You're not going to make it to the draft, man. <laughs> you know, as always, hit us up with thoughts, questions, hashtag us, Tomahawk on Twitter, Tomahawk with an H. Um, and we read all the tweets, we laugh about them, and a lot of them we try to bring to the show, the best ones. Make sure you hit us up anywhere podcasts are available, subscribe, rate five stars. We're, we're on a little bit of a quest here to be the, the top-rated sports podcast. And we're we're moving. I think we're at like eleven hundred five star ratings, which is we're getting incredible. There. Where where is the number one show? Which is part of my take. They're at like what twenty thousand. They're at like twenty seven thousand. But the problem the problem we're having with part of my take is as we go up, they also go up. Yeah. So I don't know if it's because we're pumping <laughs> them. Funny how that works. So we have to figure that out. But we've passed <laughs> we've passed Skip and Shannon Undisputed Podcast. We've passed Stephen A. Smith. We've passed uh, uh, Wingo and Golick. Or Golik and Wingo, I'm not sure who goes first. But we've passed them. It doesn't matter because they're in the past. Yeah. We've passed J.J. Reddick's podcast. Mm-hmm. And we've passed um, the first podcast in NFL history with mm-hmm. Flying Colors. Mm-hmm. That is in the rear view for yeah, sure. Yeah, that thing sucked. I can't believe that even Heck. made the air. Uh, you know what? The only question left for us, Hawk, is when is Uninterrupted going to actually put us on their photo, on their banner, on their Twitter page? Uh, I'm not sure we're ever going to reach that level, but we can aspire to great things, can't we? We are on our way. We're on our way. I think we're one of the top podcasts on the, on the network right now. We're the we're the hottest for sure. We're like LeBron coming into the league of podcasts right now. <laughs> Everyone's has an eye out for us. Yeah, but we're we're rather humble and conservative, so we yeah. don't want to you know go out on a limb too much there. Exactly. And, and people are trying to hate on us to, to bring us down. Speaking of being hot, the Tomahawk Show has elevated Joe to new heights. New heights. Joe it, was all over national media this week. He, How was your trip he, to ESPN? He's like he's trying to outgrow us on our episode four. It's ridiculous. Guys, the Tomahawk Show has really uh, launched my career into the stratosphere. Uh, ESPN was calling after they heard what we did in Episode 3. Like you mentioned, this week was a busy week for me. I was out in Bristol for a couple days doing the car wash out there. Nice. As you guys know what that's all about, you uh, basically do every show that ESPN can possibly fit you on in like an eight-hour period. And when you're done, you feel like you've been through the car wash. So. Hence the name Car Wash. Makes I'm glad sense. to be back, though, recording another great episode of the Tomahawk Show. What was your, what was your favorite show that you went on? Uh, you know, the most fun show for me was the Lebitard show because we were uh, kind of right? joking around. Well, they record from Miami. You know, we're stuck right. in Berea. I mean, Berea is a great place <laughs> to be in January, but uh, I'm not sure it compares to being at the Clevelander in Miami like those guys in the Lebitard show. So 
but it was in it was in studio, but uh, I was sort of the gotcha. uh, anonymous caller from assignment, like you I was a couple in. weeks ago. They patched me in. That's awesome, man. I, I think everybody, all the reaction I've seen from you being on TV is it, it scared a lot of people because you were really good at it, and it's like, uh oh, it's like he find out he found out he has another talent, and people don't like it. Well, I appreciate that, Hawk, but the real reason I was out there was uh, to get both of us promoted to the yes. Monday night booth. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but the Vegas odds for us being a three-man booth on Monday night have uh, skyrocketed. I think they're almost one-to-one now. Yeah. But uh, I still like our odds. I like it, too. Somebody did throw me in an article. Somebody threw me in an article as a, a possible replacement for, for John Gruden. I'll be the first to tell you I would be terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't but, think you could call games? I think you'd be great. I mean, I don't know if people want – Hawk takes. You're you're a little bit too hot take. Hot yeah. take. Hot take. <laughs> it's too hot take for Monday Night Football. Yeah, they're like not, John Gruden, who's just puffing everybody up. Yeah, it's not me. I'm pumping the their opposite. tires all day. You're deflating their tires. Exactly. All day. I'm like he sucks. That was a lucky catch. <laughs> Next play. <laughs> they don't want me up there. All right. I've, the, got, uh, I've got a hot take. Oh, so when whoa, I was whoa, watching whoa. you on ESPN, whoa. Joe. Yes, sir. You had your hair all slicked back. Mm. You were dressed all nice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're dressed like a slob for our show. Oh man. You know, the first day we don't have video in here, and you're going to call me out on how I look. I actually think I look great today. Yeah, we could just lie about it. You're wearing a yeah. three-piece tuxedo. Yeah, I wore my tux today, Dan. At <laughs> least maybe my tux with shirt. With Louboutin shoes with spikes. <laughs> you know how you love those. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, expensive shoes and belts. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you guys know all about that. We all know that. Uh, but, hey, let's get to the rundown here. Today's show, we're going to feature some amazing topics. Uh, Pro Bowl stories, the quarterback debate trending timeouts, maybe even a little concussion drama in Carolina and the NFL, and uh, whatever else we feel like talking about. So without any further ado, let's dive right into the first topic of the day, and uh, that would be the Pro Bowl week. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is kind of your area. I've never made a Pro Bowl. You haven't? No. Contrary to popular belief. Not a lot of 5'7 receivers (laughs) making the Pro Bowl these days, huh? Exactly. I I wasn't quite voted in. Now, Joe didn't make it this year because of injury. This is the first time in your career. Joe's made it That's the crazy, first 10 bro. years of his career. One of like three or four players ever, like the names of the names of the NFL, like the Barry Sanders is, the the greatest players of all time. Joe is in that list, and this is the first time he hasn't made it. What's that like for you not to be there this year? It's interesting because I was watching some clips the other day that was on TV from the Pro Bowl and seeing those guys together and knowing the camaraderie and – the fun that those guys have together on the field. And then when they get back to the hotel at the end of the day, it made me miss it. Um, but then I saw the background, and it didn't look like Waikiki Beach. I didn't see the <laughs> mountains of Hawaii. And then I thought, you know what? I don't miss it as much as I thought I would because being in Orlando, the Pro Bowl is just not the same. It was such a reward for players when it was out in Hawaii. Right. It was such a trip. I mean, a lot of the families had never been to Hawaii. A lot of those players, this was their first experience. And for those of you who haven't been to Hawaii, it's it is a different country. Yeah. It is so beautiful, fantastic, spectacular, all the way from the people, the food, the weather, the island. It's just a magical fairyland. And when the players go out there, it just seems like it's a much more tight knit group, right? Like guys hanging around the pool together. Yeah. Guys are guys are drinking beer at the poolside bar. Peyton Manning's hanging out with everybody. You're just having a really good time, and you lose a lot of that in Orlando because it's so easy for families and players to get down there. They have every uncle and brother and cousin that they ever had yeah. that they were ever had a relationship with coming down there, and then guys live in Florida too. So a lot of guys are just gone; they disappear, and so you don't get that tightness that you got in Hawaii 
at the hotel at the end of the day around the pool. And last year when we were at the Pro Bowl, I was wearing a knit hat. And there was a heater on the sideline <laughs> because there was like a 45-degree cold snap that came through. So it was probably good that my streak ended after a uh, cold weather experience When the Pro Bowl gets cold, man, it's time to check it yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it's always fun, so I don't want to act like I didn't appreciate it. But right. it's just not the same as those first Pro Bowls in Hawaii. Well, we'll get one more for you next year, and then we'll, we'll, we'll check back in to see how you feel about the Pro Bowl there. Is there any good stories you got from the Pro Bowl? Like, what is like yeah. – what is Peyton Manning like? Because I feel like he's always there when you're there. Yeah. You play with like three eras of football players going It was amazing. When I look back at my 10 years there, there were so many great Hall of Famers that I was lucky enough to play with. Yeah. The guys that first come to mind for me always were Tony Gonzalez because my rookie ah. Pro Bowl, I'm left tackle, he's playing tight end, and he's like the greatest tight end that ever played. Right. Trying to talk to me about, hey, what, what block we got here? How are we going to handle this <laughs> and stuff? And it was a really cool, surreal moment. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning. And I think Peyton Manning's that one guy at the Pro Bowl that he's easily the most dearly missed because he's such a character. And the Pro Bowl was your opportunity to really see what Peyton was like off the field. Uh, he loved spending time at the tiki bar around the pool at the <laughs> hotel, and he would drink about eight or nine Mai Tais, but you'd never see him after six. He was like that drinker from two to six. He had a great time. He loved hanging out with all the guys. He loved talking trash. We loved joking around. We even pushed Jay Cutler in the pool one time. And he it deserves. actually turned – this is the funny story. It actually turned into like sort of a, a bad situation because Jay Cutler's diabetic. And oh, so you almost, uh, you almost killed Jake. We almost killed Jake Cutler. <laughs> wow. Um, Some was, Miami fans are like, yeah. dang it. <laughs> wow. I, I was just a wee lad at the Pro Bowl sitting there just trying to fit in with Peyton and those guys. And Wes Welker does the old trick where he like goes down on all fours right behind Jay, right ah. at the lip of the pool. And Peyton just decks him right into the pool. So Jay goes into the pool and comes out and he's holding like his pump, his diabetic pump. And he's like, guys. He just broke my pump, and I think I'm going to die if oh, I don't wow. get a new one pretty soon. So it turned into a little bit of a panic, but uh, there's plenty of medical staff out there and trainers, and they were able to find him another one before there was any serious type of a situation. Breaking news. Now, uh, we, now we see how Wes Welker and uh, Peyton ended up in yes, Denver. but that's how they ended up in Denver. They were uh, a dynamic <laughs> duo pushing Jay Cutler in the pool and trying to kill him. <laughs> Now, they've done some things with the Pro Bowl to try to spice up interest. They did the draft with Michael Irvin and, you know, unconferenced. Now it's back to AFC-NFC. They brought the Skills Challenge last year. And I believe dodgeball was your idea, Joe? Well, myself, Nick Mangold, Jason Witten were involved in a few phone conversations with the folks at the NFL over the years, like year, my, my fourth Pro Bowl or so. All of a sudden, Roger Goodell decided that at the top of his to-do list was shitting on the Pro Bowl. Like, <laughs> the Pro Bowl is not good enough. They're, the guys aren't playing hard. They're not breaking each other's legs like a regular game. So we need to find a way to spice this up. So they started going with this unconferenced approach, this draft. They started throwing Hall of Fame guys in there as coaches. And I don't really think it made a big difference for the fans because I think the fans, they know what the Pro Bowl is. If you're going to tune in, you're not expecting a hard-fought game. You're going to expect a lot of touchdowns, a lot of passes, right. and not a lot of tackling. Exactly. That's just the Pro Bowl. It's like yeah. the all-star game in the NBA. You're not going to see defense. No matter what you do, those guys aren't going to put their careers on the line to not play defense. It. That's not, not worth it. it, right? So let's take the Pro Bowl for what it is, which should be a reward that's fun for the players and enjoyable for the fans to tune in to maybe see a lighter side of some of these guys mm -hmm. while seeing some exciting football plays, right. some deep throws, yada, yada. 
Well, so my idea was let's bring a skills challenge back. You know, a few years ago they did the 40-yard dash and they did the bench press competition and they had some fun things. And I think the fans enjoyed that, right? Because yeah. you kind of get to see guys doing something a little bit different than you do during the season. Right. And the and the players liked it. I think they got you know TVs if they won and little fun rewards. And they also got a chance to show the fans at home their other side. You know, you got yeah. to market your off the field brand a little right. bit. Um, so my thought was, why don't we bring that back? Like, why did we ever go away from it? I know there were some injuries with like the forty yard dash and stuff. So clearly, we don't want to do anything. It's some hamstrings. Yeah. We don't want to do anything that's going to hurt a guy, right? Okay, that's easy enough. Why don't we play dodgeball? I mean, how fun would that be? Like, we've got some of the best athletes in the world. They got to be good at dodgeball. Right. I think it'd be fun. You're going to get to see guys in, interact. And so that was my big idea. I had some other ideas. That didn't get picked up yet. Like what? What were your ideas? So my, some of my other ideas was like a long drive co- competition yeah. or like a mini golf. Um, I thought a sand volleyball game would be fun. That would be Like cool. little, little things like that. I, all I thought, things you're good at. I yeah, yeah, all things that I could win that <laughs> yeah. TV. You know, that's that's my, my strategy. Um, but well, how, thought, how did, how did, dodgeball, how did dodgeball go for you in that first so, one? Although it was my idea, I didn't get the memo that those guys are all better athletes than me <laughs> because when I'm back there, you're – thinking back to like fourth grade when you were actually a good athlete compared to those other fourth graders but in that circle I was not so good of an athlete and so I got the ball I was running around thinking I was cool and I tried to chuck the ball at um I don't even remember who it was but somebody who was a far better athlete than me and I threw the ball at him as hard as I possibly could and he turned and just caught it with one hand like it was no big deal catching a jugs pass and I was out and I never went back in the game and I was thoroughly embarrassed by my friends and family that's hilarious you're just a big ass target now yeah as you're 30 yeah. years old playing yeah dodgeball yeah I'm just glad I didn't get hurt that's funny this episode is brought to you by HP plus in a world full of smart devices shouldn't your printer be smart too it is with HP plus These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com slash smart for details. All right, well, later in the the week, you, you did an article with Monday Morning Quarterback at Sports Illustrated about Hugh Jackson. And the reason why you felt it was the right decision by the organization to make sure he was still the head coach in 2018, give us kind of a, a little bit of a summary about that, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of get into a conversation about that. So basically, the summary of the article was, for two years, the Browns have been sort of micro-tanking, essentially. If, if you're a baseball fan, if you understand how that world works, right. you, you go in baseball, these teams go through these little micro tanks to get better draft picks to save their uh, salary space in the NFL. It's salary cap, but baseball doesn't have a hard cap, but basically you're saving your money for the opportunity to make little runs, mm-hmm. you know, little four or five year runs where you're able to put together the team. You're able to collect pitching, hitting, blah, blah, blah. And you make your little four-year run, and after those four years, you get rid of all your guys, and you start saving your picks again for another three, four years, right? Right. So the Browns hired Paul DePodesta, who was one of the Moneyball guys. They hired Sashi Brown, who was a super smart NFL lawyer mm-hmm. who had never been on the personnel side of things. And they thought, well, the best opportunity for the Browns to turn around if you give us four solid years, would be to do this sort of baseball approach where you sort of micro-tank at the beginning, you save your salary cap space, you compound your draft picks by trading out, 
and then getting future years draft picks. And then in years three and four, you're going to have all these draft picks. You're going to have all the salary cap space. And then you can go on a little run. You can find your quarterback, however that may be. Because in the NFL, you have to have the quarterback. Then you can compete for a championship. No quarterback, no chance. Right. That's what I say. Yeah. So that was basically the strategy. But um, according to some people that I know, Hugh Jackson was never let in on that <laughs> strategy. So he takes the job. He's looking at the roster. He's going, wow, there's a lot of talent here. Like, I really think that we take the traditional approach. We draft the guys that we can draft. We sign a couple of free agents. I have confidence in myself as a coordinator, as a coach. Mm-hmm. I think we can be a really good team and quick. Yeah. So he takes the job, and then all of a sudden we get rid of a litany of guys. Litany. Litany. Alex Mack, Mitchell Schwartz, Tashawn Gibson, uh, Jabal Sheard. Taylor Keep going. Gabriel. Taylor Gabriel. Travis Benjamin. So we basically all all of our Johnson guys that were in the prime of their career years let's let's call it four through eight mm-hmm. the prime of your NFL career yep we either didn't resign traded or just flat out cut so now we've got all these rookies and of course that's all you have you have to play them right. so for two years we're basically just getting these rookies experience with the understanding that we are going to get high draft picks. And in years 2018, 2019, now we're going to be able to go on our little run, right? Yeah. Find the quarterback, do whatever we have to do, and it's going to be good. Well, the the summary was Sashi, Paul, when they come up with the strategy, I don't think they fully understood how painful it is to lose in football. Yeah. They don't understand how it ruins careers, yeah. how you have that stain with you as a coach, as a management, as a team, and how it, it, it doesn't come off like it does in baseball. Right. And in baseball, if you're losing, the fans just stop watching. Nobody's going to get hurt. It's a non-contact sport. If you're just outmatched from a talent standpoint, you're not going to get hurt. But in football, that's a different story. Right. And this, the pain of losing, the way it's, it's going to follow all of us who are involved in these two years for the rest of our lives, I think was was overlooked by that management team. Right. And it was so painful around here to go through that that I think Jimmy and Dee, who are the owners of the Browns, realized that it's either Hugh or Sashi. We can't keep both of them because the relationships in the building had just soured so much and there was so much bitterness over the plan that you had to pick between one of those two. And I think we have not given Hugh Jackson yet an opportunity to show what type of coach he is and can be. And I think basically – we need to give him at least this year, 2018, yeah. to prove that he is if we a get great coach. the roster. If we get the if roster, we give him the players that he needs to be successful. We, the Browns, have just hired John Dorsey, mm-hmm. traditional football guy, X's and O's. He's going to sit former in his player. room, former player. He's going to look at guys and make a determination: are they good or not? The Hasms, I think they want to spend money. They want to use those draft picks. They want to be good in 2018. Right. And I think we will. I think the Browns are going to be really good in 2018. I would always say, and I I don't, I I don't, it's not my take that players make better GMs. Because I feel like if you're around football enough and you watch enough of it, you're going to be able to pick out talent. There's certain prospects that we always see that other can't miss, right? Like Miles Garrett, once you walk up on that kid and you see him in person, you see him move. (laughs) He's kind of a no-brainer. You know, Andrew Luck was obviously a no-brainer. Now, there are some reaches and there are some guys. You still miss on him because it's 50-50. I think we're having a guy who used to play being your GM benefits you is the fact that 
Like what I'm able to do is I'm able to walk up on players practicing. And I can see how a guy practices and I can watch him and I can know what kind of guy he is. Like if he'll get better, does he work hard? And I know it seems easy, but guys can trick you because that's what the combine is. We go to the combine every year, but those guys are just they train three months to trick you into thinking that they check all the boxes. <laughs> so if you so don't true. if you don't know like what when a guy is foolish, you know what? And when a guy really does work hard or when a guy really cares or when a guy really cherishes football over everything else, it's easy to get tricked. And that was my problem with, like, the philosophy the Browns had. And it had nothing to do with, like, personal. But you're right. Like, that – it affects – like, it's a million-dollar swing for a lot of players. It affects people's career. It affects people's um, ability life. to continue to make money and provide for their family. No doubt. For just what you said. And from the beginning, without knowing all of that – now, obviously, hindsight, we kind of see what the yeah. – the uh, the plan was, but before knowing that, as you know, we would be sitting in meetings talking, and that was my thing because players, when you come to the league, your first three years, you survive off your physical tools. Like 22 to 25, you're kind of invincible. Like you bounce back faster than you ever will. You're as fast as you ever are. You're as strong as you ever are, but you're not experienced, right? Come year four through eight, like you'd said, you still have that same uh, physicality. You still are that fast. You are that explosive. But now you have the experience. Now you have the mind. You're surviving off of both your physical tools and your, your, your mental capabilities. And then when you get to ages 28 to 32, your physical goes down a little bit. You don't bounce back as fast. You might not be as quick. You know, if you're really into it, you might have sustained a little better than the rest. But at that point, you're just so much smarter than the rest of the pool you're kind of surviving off the fact that you have so much experience. So the, my problem with what the strategy was for the Browns is we were letting guys walk, like you said, in that peak time when they are now physically peaked and also they are at their best mental when it comes to being a professional. So just like the names we all mentioned that now we see in Pro Bowls, now we see in the playoffs, now we see in Super Bowls, mm-hmm. getting rings and all over television – those should have been here. It's like my philosophy that if you had the 2015 Browns, we would have been a playoff team. No doubt. Because we had that kind of talent and everyone's, you know, everyone's bashing. And I get it. One in 31. Yeah. Of course, we you're deserve it. You, you win one game. You are what your record says. No one you should are. be singing from the mountaintops about, you know, the state of the Browns. I get that. But as two guys who are in a locker room and have seen a lot of those coaches come through here, guys that we don't dislike personally, but we just know how to diagnose a guy who is a good coach. And, not only that, a genuine dude who can get the most out of his guys, people just don't realize that they think because it's an NFL team, all things are equal, and they don't get that we went into games with 30-plus rookies on an active roster. So we were essentially playing at one point with half of a college football team against grown men who have been doing this a long time, and you just can't win football games that way. Yeah, I agree. So the capstone on the article was there's a reason you hired Hugh Jackson two years ago. He was the hottest name in pro football at that time. He decided to come to the Browns, not because he thought the Browns gave him the most money. Maybe they did. I don't know what his contract is. But he came to the Browns because he saw an opportunity to turn around a once great and proud franchise and to be the hero of the city, which is what he is. I still truly believe he is going to be when he turns this around and Mm -hmm. very quickly. But let's remember back to why we hired him. And let's take a look through the record, just like the Titans looked through the record with Mike Malarkey and decided to fire him, right. and find out if truly we have given him a full deck to play with, mm-hmm. and if he has those skills, and he's proven it, 
that he can be a great coach in the NFL. I'm with you 100%, man. I remember when he came from Cincinnati over because there were like rumblings that he was going to be the next Cincinnati Bengals head coach. To be honest, honestly, there's still conversations around that. Well, he did such a great job when he was Cincinnati. He left such a great mark on that organization that there was a lot of talk about this offseason. Yeah. That if Marvin left, they were going to try to trade for Hugh. I, I honestly, or they were going to sign him or do something to get him in Cincinnati. I have in no idea record, what happened. I have like no connections, no talk. But I, I honestly think that that is a big reason why Marvin Lewis signed another two year deal. Because I think, like, in the back of Cincinnati's mind, that Hugh Jackson was going to be done here in Cleveland, and they were going to make him their head coach. Yeah, I agree. And then that didn't happen, so they kind of scrambled and, you know, like, well, let's just keep everything in place. Yeah. Because I, I like you said, I, I know they have that kind of respect for him. Yeah. But which goes into our coaching update. What so do you got for us? We have Vrabel as the head coach of the Titans. You like it or you hate it? I played against Mike Vrabel in New England. He was an incredible competitor. He was a guy that limited – Ability-wise, but super smart, super mm-hmm. tough, played really hard. Um, had a Pro Bowl year, you know? I yeah. think he was a, a very good player. Only one? I think he only made one. Really? I think I was out there, and I think I remember that was his only Pro Bowl. But mm-hmm. uh, anyways, he's ri- risen quickly through the coaching ranks. I think he went to Ohio State. Yeah. And then he he's went Ohio to – Yeah, yeah, he's from Ohio. Yeah. I think he's from like Akron or Canton or something. Uh, NFD, what, what's your input? Where's Vrabel from? Canton sounds about right. Yeah. Walsh. Yeah. Oh, Walsh. yeah. We're glad we pay him the big bucks. He's really good <laughs> at that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's from one of these schools in Ohio, but um, he's just a, a football lifer, let's call him. Yeah. And he's done a pretty good job in, in Houston, and I think right now the Patriots are hot. Anybody that's connected with the Patriots that's is getting point. jobs. That's a good point. Tell me, do you consider him a Patriots guy? Because, to be honest, you don't. Patriots tree guys have not been successful. They haven't. Like, on a, it's probably almost 100%. There's, not success rate. There is no Patriots coach that I can think of off the top of my head. Now, NFD, maybe we'll research it for us here quickly, that has won a championship as a coach after they've left yeah. the Patriots. I'm thinking I've played for Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini. Uh, Charlie Weiss had some good Charlie seasons Weiss. in Notre Dame, ended up getting fired and then fizzled out in Kansas. McDaniels, uh, first coach. McDaniels was an abject failure in Denver. Yep. Uh, O'Brien, I guess. O'Brien, who's done good enough in Houston. He won a division championship. Yeah, he's done good enough, but he hasn't won a championship. Right. And and the other thing about O'Brien is he didn't start with the Patriots. Right. He started elsewhere and came to the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think everyone kind of still considers him a Patriots guy. Um, That's why they hired him. Yeah, that's why he got hired. Right. Yeah. Exactly. With Rabel, I don't know if I consider him a – because he's the only one – who is a player of the Patriots. He's not a Patriots He never coach. coached for the Patriots. So he like got that Patriots mystique because yeah. he played there, and he, he got kind of the same um, training that the other guys had, but he went elsewhere to kind of make his name as a coach, which is why I kind of appreciate it a little more, and I think I give him a little more, a little different chance to make it. Mm-hmm. Two, re- two things about Rabel that I like. When I was in, at the Patriots for my short time there as a player, they would talk about IQ. Like, so with the Patriots – Everything there is like you have to be a smart player. So when you go for a workout there, you work out on the field. They do a couple of things that I, I won't give all their secrets away, but they do a couple of things that only they do. <laughs> yeah, for because the they'll have the Illuminati cut your head off <laughs> outside your house. So they do a couple of things that only the Patriots do in the workout. And then basically they want to know your IQ. So you have to talk football there. Like it's not like I don't care who you are. They want to make sure you're a smart football player because if you're not a smart football player in New England, you will not make it. Goner. I am telling you, like, it is so hard there. 
it feels like you're in um a, a graduate school mm-hmm. the way that they do football mm-hmm. because if you're not smart you're gone yeah almost immediately yeah and while i was there they would talk about players iqs the two guys they said had the highest football iq while being there one was mike rabel hmm. guess who the other one was Teddy Brisky? nope tom brady nope andrew hawkins you get two more guesses <laughs> nfd i want to hear your input. nfd give me a guess Barkevius Mingo. Nope. Give me give me another one. Oh wow. Last guess. <laughs> Wes Walker. Uh, Aaron Hernandez. Really? They said this dude was. I was gonna a guess Gronk. Like they said his his football <laughs> IQ and just his regular intelligence was like higher than everybody wow. else's while he was there. That's shocking. It was shocking to me too. But I say that to say they talked about him and Vrabel that same way. Um, I'm connected to Vrabel because when my brother played for the Patriots back, I think in 2000. 2006, seven, and a little bit of eight, he played with Vrabel, so I knew him there. And then after my first year in Canada, trying to make it to the league, I broke my ankle like the last game of the season. So I was rehabbing in Columbus, and A.J. Hawk um, and Vrabel worked out together at the gym I was at. I didn't really talk to him. I was just there. I was at this point in my rehab where it was like my ankle was medically cleared, but it still hurt. There's always like this gap where you're like, you have to just jump in the water and swim, but it hurts, so you're, like, scared, and you're giving it more time. But it was to the point where I had to just rip the Band-Aid off. But I was, like, nervous. It's just what it is what it is. So I was, like, watching those guys work out one day, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm watching them run back and forth. In the middle of the run, Vrabel runs over to me, and he's like, what are you waiting for? And it's the first time we've talked. And I'm like, uh, like, what? He's like, what are you waiting for? He's like, look, you're not injured anymore. You're hurt. And if you're not injured, that means you can go. And if you don't know how to play hurt at 5'6", you're never going to make it. <laughs> this isn't a spectator sport. You can't get in the NFL by watching. And I like uh, what I, st- I started to point down at my ankle, and he's like, look, man, we can't go back and forth with this conversation. We're already missing reps. Grab your shoes. Let's go. You owe me an extra one. Wow. And I went and got my shoes, <laughs> and I limped wow. 20 sprints. Like, it hurt like hell, <laughs> and that was horrible. But the next day, it felt a little better. And that, that was like how I started back working out and obviously eventually yeah. got to where I go. And I say that to say he's that kind of person that if, if he didn't push me past what I thought was a limit, and I said this on my Twitter, I might have stayed on the sideline a little too long. And I might not be here right now at this Tony and Grammy Award winning podcast, the Tomahawk <laughs> Show. <laughs> of course. You know, but that kind of motivation, like that's what a head coach is. He has to be able to motivate exactly. his guys, push his guys to go beyond that. And like I, that was never lost on me. And, and that's why I'm a Mike Rabel fan. Mm-hmm. You got to know how to push your guys. That's one of the most important traits of a head coach. You got to know the buttons to push. You need to know the guys to get on. You need to know the guys that learn best when you're a little softer with them and you're their buddy and you put your arm around them. Um, I know one thing about Mike Vrabel is his team is going to be smart. Mm-hmm. They're going to give great effort and they're going to be tough. Uh, the only game I ever played against Vrabel with the Patriots. The end of the game, we're driving down the field. Derek Anderson is our quarterback. Uh-huh. I think it's like a seven or eight point game. So we're trying to get back into it with, you know, sixty seconds or thirty seconds left. And we get down the field and we're like uh, on the thirty yard line, and we're trying to spike it because we don't have any timeouts left. So we get into the spike formation, and for linemen, when you're in the spike formation, you kind of just pop out of your stance and you're on guard, right? Because usually the D line, as soon as they see that spike, 
they take it easy, right? Yeah, because they're getting ready for their next play. Well, Vrabel's coming across for me, and as soon as he sees a spike, he goes low and goes right for my knees. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully, he was coming at me from the front and uh, not the side or the back. And so I was able to see him, and I was able to kind of push his head into the ground. And Uh my left guard at the time was Eric Steinbach, and he was kind of a tough Chicago kid, south Uh side. And uh, God bless him, because as soon as he saw that, he turned it into a brawl. And both (laughs) of them started going at it. We started kind of ruckusing, and the refs got in there real quick and split us up. But uh, both those guys got like $7,500 fines or something like that for getting into a fight right there towards the end of the game. And I'll never forget that because that whole game, all Vrabel did was bull rush. He had no other moves, but he was just going to run his head into the wall the entire game to try to make it as hard as it it was on me, no matter how hard it was on him. Right. That's, that's genius, man. Yeah, so I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm pulling for Vrabel. We'll, we'll see what happens. He lost his O coordinator pick, so I don't, I don't know if he picked the second one yet. We also have – Steve Wilkes to the Cardinals. Yeah. He's the what? D coordinator for D the coordinator. Panthers? Yep. D coordinator. I like that hire. Nobody's ever heard of Steve Wilkes. I was going to say, I'm not going to lie. Was, I have no idea. He was a who Steve one Wilkes year is. coordinator in Carolina. Did a good job out there. Obviously, he killed the interview. But the reason I like that pick for, uh, for the Cardinals is because Steve is a really good, aggressive defensive guy. And you mm-hmm. look at the Cardinals roster, they've got a lot of talent on defense. They're yeah. really good on defense and the cupboards are bare on offense. So really bringing in a good defensive guy that just wants to run the ball, not make mistakes, and play good defense is probably the best thing for the roster that they have. But I think the Cardinals, they're in for a little bit of a period of, of struggle because they're losing Carson Palmer. Yeah. Larry Fitzgerald's at the end of his career, and they don't really have obvious guys across the board to replace him. So um, it's going to be a really tough situation for Steve Wilkes and I, I wish him the best, but that's probably the worst opening that happened this offseason. I didn't like it either, especially in that division, too, um, and the way they're kind of trending. What do they have? Like the Seahawks are in that division, um, the Rams. NFC West. Yeah. Seahawks, Rams. Cardinals. Cardinals. We're great football guys. Yeah, we, That's all we do we is watch football. We love ball. That's just <laughs> – Come on, NFD. Who is the, who's who's the why last is this, Why am I losing this? Yeah, why can't we think of this? It's a, it's a California team, right? Is it the, is it it's, oh, it's San Fran. San Fran. That's why. That's why because Garoppolo, Kyle yeah, yeah, Shanahan, yeah. So those guys like, are ascending. They're already fourth. Like, yeah. you're probably fourth for the next four years. Well, that's the scary thing when you look at that division. Garoppolo. Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson. And Goff. And Goff. All of those guys are bay. still pretty young. Yeah, like you're in it, and you don't have a quarterback. And you got no quarterback. So you're gonna you got be, no chance. If I was gonna make a prediction, he's probably an incredible coach, but you'll get three years, and if he's they'll lucky. blame you two for year, not having two a quarterback. Years, if you're not in the playoffs, they're gonna get rid of you because the NFL is so impatient. Yeah, well, let's talk about Carson Palmer. That's a good segue into our debate. I I got in a debate with my Cincinnati guys about who is the better quarterback, Carson Palmer or Andy Dalton, because Cincinnati fans love Carson Palmer. Well, not all of them, but a, a, a majority of them. And they love to hate you Andy Dalton. You always love what you don't have, right? And they love to hate Andy Dalton. And I forget, it was uh, Joel Goodberry and my guy James over at ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati who said that it wasn't even close, that Carson Palmer was the better quarterback. Wow. And I was like, no, that's that's a ridiculous take. And so we kind of went back and forth, and they, and they made some there like, you know, oh, it's um, the way the league is now. You can't look at the numbers, and then you can't look at the wins because of the defense. So I'm like, okay, all the things we have to look at, we can't look at. So what? So now we're just looking <laughs> at look height, at? weight, and yeah, arm right? strength. The 40 time. Exactly. What I'm did like, you do at the combine? I'm like, so okay, so then the top quarterbacks ever are freaking Blake Bortles and Jay Cutler, if that's all we're looking <laughs> at. Because if you, if you look at the numbers, and I, I know NFD is coming with the numbers, 
Andy Dalton is a better quarterback. You're seven right. to seven years, apples to apples. And honestly, I, I haven't even looked at him that in depth, but I would argue that there's probably no seven-year period in Carson's career that has outdone Andy because Andy is, number one, durable. He throws a great ball. No, he doesn't have the same arm strength as Carson Palmer, but that's not always necessary. They made the argument that they had A.J. Green, and I'm like, no, well, Ocho Cinco was the best receiver Yeah, he wasn't too bad. Don't Pushed forget about Zeta. him. Chris Henry. He was a stud. If, if you know, tragedy wouldn't have struck for Chris Henry, he would have ended up being a number one receiver somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a run game. They had one of the best offensive lines. Their offense was rolling. Yeah. Simple as that. So I, don't, I just don't get it. What do you got for me? I was shocked. I mean, when I saw your tweet, I thought, Carson Palmer, of course, is way better. That was right. my opinion, not being a big Bengals fan. And I looked and I saw they both played seven years there. And I looked at the numbers and I was amazed. Dalton's are better across the board, like you said, everywhere. Four postseason trips, Dalton had two. Neither of them won a game, a postseason game. I think that's the biggest stigma on Dalton is that he never won. Right. Carson didn't either. I, look, I, was, I was shocked to see Carson Palmer only has one career postseason win. Yeah. I, that, that amazed me. I had no idea. I thought and that was won. in uh, Arizona. Right. Yep. Exactly. I mean, you... Someone even said when he retired, like, should he get into the Hall of Fame? And I, I'm not a Carson. I love Carson Palmer. I was a fan of the Bengals growing up, so I was, I was there. I just don't like the stigma around Cincinnati that Andy Dalton is this bad quarterback. And maybe it's because I'm in Cleveland, and I know a thing or two about bad quarterbacks. And I get it, and I read the, the paper like everybody else. But just to be honest, once you come to Cleveland in the quarterback situation, I can promise you if Andy Dalton came here, Browns fans would freaking love this dude. Like, he's not – He's just his personality, and maybe it's the red hair, but his personality is so oh, like the chill. Red Rider BB gun as uh, JJ yeah. Watt was harassing him a few years back. That's like people don't like him because he's just so chill. He's not like going to sing from the mountaintop how good he is. He's not going to be out there talking stuff. He's not going to be out there like ruffling feathers. So they just think, oh, he's not a competitor. He is a competitor. And to be honest, I don't care if you're a competitor. Just be good. Like we've had competitors here that weren't very good at football. You know what I'm Preach. saying? So mm. I just don't think that that matters. And I, like I said, I, I come to defense of them. They say, oh, because he's your friend. There was dysfunction in the organization back then that isn't there now. And I'm always like, hmm, that's interesting. Because one <laughs> of us was there and the other person wasn't. So you're going to tell me about what's dysfunctional. And not only that, my brother was there in the previous era. So you would think that I would know a little bit about what was going on behind the scenes. But I digress. It'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to me to see how those guys are remembered and their careers are remembered 15 years from now. There, there is this effect, and I, I've just thought about it the other day because I saw a poll, and George Bush right now, people have like a 60 or 65% <laughs> approval rating of his presidential time. And I'm thinking to myself, they said he was like at 30% when he left the office or something like that. So as time goes by, people just kind of remember the good and they forget the bad a little bit. And I'm sure that's what's happening with Carson. And I'm interested to see if that'll happen with Andy and what the perception will be 15 years down the line. Not to mention he forced his way out of Cincinnati. Yeah, you would think people would hold that against him, but they don't. They almost understand it. They're like, yeah, we understand you didn't want to deal with the Mike Brown crap. and He literally didn't show up to camp. Like that was, was going to retire. Year. He was like, "I'm retiring. I'm going to retire, then come yeah, back like, and I'm play done. there." I'm retiring. And they still like, "Oh, we miss, we miss car." It, it's the damnedest thing I've ever been a part of in my life. But I guess we got to move on. I don't want to spend our whole time talking about the Dalton uh, Carson debate. And you, we don't just talk about NFL here. We also talk about the NBA. LeBron James, youngest player to score thirty thousand points in his career, and he had a nice uh, Instagram message to himself congratulating <laughs> himself. What do yeah. you guys think of that? I liked it, man. I thought it was hilarious. If you're not your own biggest fan, <laughs> you're doing something wrong. So, Hawk, you, you, you've you worked for his 
company a lot longer than I have, and I right. think you have a little relationship with him. I don't really know him. I've seen well, him at yeah, practice I, a couple not times. Not really, except for the fact he's my boss, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You call him Mr. James. Yes, when Mr. James. I get his coffee, <laughs> foot rubs, whenever he, you know, he plays but, tough road games. So when I read that Instagram post about his 30,000th point before he got it, uh-huh. congratulating himself, I didn't really know if it was to be taken seriously, Yeah, if it was sort of like a tongue-in-cheek joke. If he was trying to be funny or if there was some blend of the two. I, I really didn't know how to take it. Like, yeah. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt that it was sort of a joke, kind of tongue-in-cheek, poking fun at things. Like, can, like when you congratulate yourself on being the, the yeah, first Yeah, like, you're right. Like, I'm obviously joking. <laughs> right. um, self-deprecation is important, I think. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really know where that tweet or that Instagram post lied on the self-deprecation scale. What do you think? I, I think this is why I like it, right? And maybe this is true of, you know, most people in this day and age. And I think it's just the, the kind of the state we're in as far as media, sports media, people in the spotlight. I felt like LeBron James, who was an incredible basketball player, one of the best overall basketball players, if not the best in, in, in NBA history. And he's an incredible athlete. He's extremely brilliant. He's the fastest player ever to 30,000 points. But if you look over his career, the amount of hate he gets mm-hmm. for the amount of greatness he he mm-hmm. shows and, and mm-hmm. exhibits on the basketball court, it amazes me. And it's almost like I actually appreciate the like new age LeBron because he was humble. He was like almost too humble for the longest time, and people would bash him. Kind of back to the Andy Dalton story. When you don't create the narrative, other people create it. And it's like, oh, he's not a competitor. He's not a this. He's not a this. And over the last couple of years, he's kind of shifted it to, like, almost arrogant Braun. Like, uh-huh. it's like cocky Braun. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, I love it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the post I don't think was meant to be cocky, mm-hmm. but it was just one of those things, like a self-confidence thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's something he set out to do early on. This is why I respect LeBron so much. It is hard to have all the expectations in the world on you and you deliver. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the most respectable thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So I was – completely okay actually excited about the fact that he was the first one to congratulate himself <laughs> for a feat he hadn't uh-huh. accomplished yet yeah. because he knew it was coming nobody's stopping me from getting thirty thousand points tonight yeah he still needed six or seven more points what if he would have got a technical early on or got kicked out of the game or got hurt in pregame warm well, because he's he's gotta wait one confident. more game like who, how are you gonna stop me i'm gonna get thirty thousand the defense you know who should be mad about that post the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> they should have had a bulletin board. Popovich shouldn't have had those guys ready to be like, okay, oh, if you're man, that bad, man. stop him from getting 30,000 points. <laughs> you're not getting six points I congratulated today. myself this yeah. morning. Yeah. Make me not get six points. It's impossible. I, I don't think basketball has bulletin board material. Do you think they care that there's much? There's way too I mean, many they, games to give There's way too many games to really care. Like, I feel like the guys on the other team saw that and were like, nah, who cares? I'm going to go back to <laughs> they my, probably liked uh, it my on Instagram. bowl of oatmeal. Yeah, they probably liked it on Instagram. That's Congrats, good. bro. See you tonight, right. bro. Let's This episode is brought to you by Shell. College football is best enjoyed at home. You know, the home that has no rooms because it's a stadium of 70,000 screaming fans. But wherever you are, ESPN and Shell can take your fandom further with savings up to 15 cents per gallon for Fuel Rewards members at Shell. Welcome home, football fans. Terms and conditions apply. See fuelrewards.com slash fuel your fandom for details. Shell is an official sponsor of ESPN College Football. ESPN, the ESPN logo, and ESPN College Football are registered trademarks of ESPN Incorporated. Let's throw a trending topic in here, change it up a little bit. Uh, we have one here. Giselle reportedly wants Brady to retire. Hawk, you retired this year. Uh-huh. How much did your wife factor into your retirement decision? Um, I don't want to sound bad here, but I don't think there's a good but way to say But here we go, it. sound bad. But 
Now I'm gonna sound bad. <laughs> she didn't really factor in at all. Cause my see my wife like she and you know my wife Keisha, yep. she does like, she's on board with it, whatever I want to do. Like mm-hmm. I've earned the right to be like, the signal caller. You know mm-hmm. I'm like the Tom Brady of my family. Mm-hmm. You know and now if I was uh, the Blake Bortles. Oh, here we go with the Blake Bortles, man. I'm just he saying. He did so well last weekend, and you're did, still hating on him. But you can have a good week. But, like, <laughs> again, the fact that you had to say he did well last week tells you, like, well, the I, expectations I didn't, I didn't are say low. Tom Brady, and you said, oh, he did so well last week. We expected. <laughs> God bless his heart. He yeah, did so well last exactly. week, that Tom Brady. <laughs> There's never an argument about what happens, right? So when Blake Bortles makes a decision on a team, uh, everyone kind of has to okay it. My wife is, like, super cool with it, and yeah. she's like, hey, look, if you want to be done, babe, Mm-hmm. We're all good. Like we're excited to have you back at the house. But if mm-hmm. you want to play, don't mm-hmm. don't stop because you think yeah. we don't want you to play yeah. football. So then anymore. you decided to spend most of your time on LA. On yeah, the plane, so I haven't seen her in, in New six York. Months. Yeah, so that's, but when I left, I'm sure she's loving that decision. Yeah, <laughs> we're uh, building the foundation. You know what I see here is if Giselle somehow convinced Brady to retire before he was ready, he would hold that against yes. her for the rest of his life. And if he ever had a day where he woke up and wished he still played. He would in- immediately be yes. bitter at Giselle for talking him into retiring. So I think truly when these retirement decisions do come up, as a player, you have to be 100% ready to retire, and you can't be influenced by anybody else in your life, no matter how influential they are, no matter if they're your spouse, brother, sister, kids, right. whatever it is, because you will hold that against them. Because inevitably in retirement, you're going to have those days where you wake up and wish you were still doing it, and you're automatically going to be pissed at yes. the person that convinced you to retire. How, how much does the theory of going out on top matter? Like, if he wins a Super Bowl, do you think that'll factor into his decision? You know, I'm going to go out on top as the champion. I don't think so. You he, hear, he's on the hook now. I mean, you, you hear that come up all the time with great players. I think I can only think of two guys that went out truly on top, Jerome Bettis and Ray Lewis. John Elway? Okay, John Elway. Now we've gone to three. So those are three guys that went out on top. But when I look at their careers, they they weren't on the top of their game when they went out. They were all sort of in decline. And so I think they kind of knew that their careers were getting close to being over. So it was a good time to retire. Has anybody truly been retired after winning the Super Bowl at the top of their personal individual game, which we can argue Brady is right now, yeah. where you definitely have a lot of years left in the tank and you just said – I'm done. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's been players, like you said, that have left after a Super Bowl. There's been players who have left who are physically still peaking. I think Barry Sanders was a good example. He retired early. Jim Brown, Chad John. Or yeah. Chad, uh, yeah. I mean, there's lots of guys that have retired Maggie at the peak Brown. of their personal game, but yep. they weren't winning a championship and then retiring. Yeah. it was you. If you retire at the top of your uh, talent peak and you're still there, it's probably because you're pissed at your organization. <laughs> <laughs> More than like nine times out of ten, you're fed up with your organization, which is why you yeah, got. Yeah, I'm done. Call me on that. Think about it. Give me one who isn't. I'm sure the Twitter verse is going to hit us with some. Hashtag Tomahawk if you got Hashtag Tomahawk. If you have a guy who retired at the peak of their football career, talent-wise, that didn't leave because they were frustrated with the organization, tweet it to us because offhand I can't think of one. Now let's pivot from the NFL to the XFL. It was announced recently that Vince McMahon will be bringing back the controversial XFL to return in the year 2020. What do you guys think wow. about that? I'm a fa- I was a fan of the XFL when it was out. Like, so I think it's, it's crazy that they would bring it back because it's like almost them saying, like, yo, we're at the climate now. 
that this could be successful. Can you it could have been. Can you name a player other than he hate me? Um, Tinker Keck. <laughs> That's a made-up name. There's no way that was a real human being. Tinker Keck played in the XFL. What was his first name? Tinker? Tinker. Tinker Keck. He, he was one of my brother's uh, teammates in, in college. Wait, that was his real name or that was one on the, on the back Dude, of his jersey? Look, look it up. Tinker Keck is his name. Um, he was a kick returner. He was like one of those chiseled dudes. You remember Luke Swan from Wisconsin who was like chiseled? Yeah. Yeah, he was like he one was of my those roommate in college. Guys. Yeah, like he was like that. He was a great athlete. But yeah, his name is Tinker Keck. He played at UC and played in the XFL. Um, who else? Do you know any other XFL players? No, I, that was like when we were in middle. Was school. Kurt Warner XFL guy? I know he was arena guy. No, yeah, I, I don't think just think he arena. Played. I think I, I, honestly, the XFL. I don't think it ever gained any traction. Like it had a lot of media hype, but I don't think anybody ever watched, and nobody went to the games. One of my former coaches played in the XFL. Um, I can't remember who it was. Yeah, he was awesome. I, I love that guy. <laughs> Everybody, yeah, he, was he was my favorite player. He was my favorite player. No, I mean, Vince McMahon is a really bright businessman, so clearly he thinks he can make some money on this. I mean, there's got to be something in on it for him, or he wouldn't be bringing the XFL back. Right. No, I agree. I think it could be successful. I mean, because think about it. we At the NFL this year, like the problem was, honestly, to me, it was quarterback play. Like It was like a terrible year for quarterback play, as illustrated by – Three of our final four quarterbacks. <laughs> but, like, throughout the year, quarterback play was not great. It wasn't – a lot of their stars got hurt early. You talk about the J.J. Watts, the Odell Beckhams, um, the Aaron Rodgers. Like, so a lot of their name power was gone. So that's what kind of fuels leagues. If you look at the XFL, imagine a league that has quarterbacks Johnny Manziel, that has Colin Kaepernick, if the money is right, if it makes sense for him. Um, it has RG3. It has Tim Tebow, who I'm sure he's playing baseball, but I know he's chomping at the bit to you make know, a football return a to TV. And you have names like that that people already identify with, already know, already want to buy jerseys for. If you can get 15 of those guys, I think there would be an interest in the league. How many teams do you think they could have, though? I mean, there's not enough of those type of names to go yeah. around to be able to get – 16 teams, right? So what do you, you have, four do teams and they play each other twice? I, I, see, I say you do eight teams. Two months? I say you do eight teams. You know, you'll, you'll find six-name quarterbacks, um, and then I think you get two that are, you know, whatever. But it's all these leagues are quarterback-driven. So, With those players, people are going to tune in to see if they still have it. So Jerry Rice said on Adam Schefter's podcast yesterday that he still yeah. thinks he can get 80 catches and he's ready for a comeback. I'm sorry. I'm Does Jerry Rice come back and play in the XFL? On, no, absolutely <laughs> not. No, I don't want to see Jerry Rice play football. Nobody wants to remember him for what he's going to be maybe doing in the XFL or what he did in Oakland at the end of his career. Everybody wants to remember him for what he did in San Fran. So I don't want to talk about Jerry Rice because he's the greatest receiver ever in Absolutely. history. Absolutely. Rated the number one NFL player in NFL history. NFL history, and he should be regarded as such. But some of the things he says, man, <laughs> you can count me out. Yeah. Like, I'm not – as I've gotten older, I've became less of a Jerry Rice fan. Really? Not like because of – I don't know. I just don't like the temperature of, like, sometimes with former players – and this isn't just Jerry, but sometimes with former players, you see it. There'll be guys sitting up on a podium that will start bashing guys who are doing great now just because there's like that little there's bit of jealousy. Threaten. Like it's like, yeah. a, yo, don't forget about me. Yeah, exactly. They're not as great as I was. And make sure we all keep that in yep. perspective. I never forget the year. And I forget what year it was. But Chris Carter talked about 
the the quote was Calvin Johnson is the number one receiver, and everybody was kind of like what? <laughs> and that same year he went for like two thousand yards receiving, <laughs> and it was like think about that now to say yeah. that Calvin Johnson wasn't a true number one. It <laughs> seems so ridiculous yeah. that you're like yo how, but. That sometimes that happens. Guys, there's, there's a lot of examples of that. The guys that were the best of their generation at their position have a really hard time admitting that they can't do it anymore. Exactly. And that somebody in the next generation might have been as good or better than they were. And that was never a problem of mine. So all those XFL guys now are going to be bad mouthing the new XFL guys when they come out. <laughs> exactly. Right. He hates oh, me. He's he hate be me. Like, You're going to be. I hate news. You. I hate you. He don't hate you. I hate you. Yeah. For me, the coolest thing about the XFL when I was growing up was that you could put anything you wanted on the back of your jersey. Now, if I played now, I would of course put my Twitter handle at Tomahawk NFT. What would you guys put on the back of your jersey? I, I like Twitter handle. What do you got, Joe? I want to hear your – do you have anything? Uh, it's not creative right now. I'm liking the Twitter handle thing. Yeah, uh, Twitter handles uh, probably – I mean, everybody's going to do that, though. So they have to disallow that. Or everyone would be ha- having their Twitter handle or their Instagram. But why wouldn't you? I think the NFL should do it. I think the NBA did do that one time. Yeah. Where they let them put their Twitter handles they had like a special day or game yeah. or something. Yeah, that's genius. Yeah, that's a good idea. But, you know, the NFL doesn't like you to self-promote. I was going to say, I should have said put that. At Browns. At Bengals, at Patriots. <laughs> Follow us, not them. <laughs> All right, let's pivot to this week's Players Speak segment where we dissect and translate recent comments from fellow NFL players on social media. You can always post one, hashtag Tomahawk, and let us dissect it for you. We've got Richard Sherman chiming in on the Gronk concussion from Barry Church's point of view. The hit on Gronk is the only way Church could have done his job without obliterating Gronk's knee. If he would have just hit him low, most people would call him dirty. So there's nothing he could do to make him happy. Unless you think he should have just let him catch it. You sound just like Richard Sherman, too. Thank you. <laughs> it's like an uncanny. <laughs> I was like reading my phone. I was like, where the hell did Sherman? Oh, an FD. Hawk, what, do you, what do you think? You're a receiver. You've probably been hitting the, the legs a few times if they could get far, far enough down there. <laughs> Actually, I've only been hitting the legs. One time. In my they were aiming career. for their legs and they hit your chest. I'm the kind of guy, when they see me, they always try to take my head off. Like, I'm the big hit opportunity. <laughs> like, so. You're the Sports Center moment guy. Ex- like, like, this is what they've been waiting yeah. for. This is what they've been like, lifting I'll all pay that fine. I, I want this moment forever and I ever. want this to be the intro to Monday Night Football when I knock this dude's helmet into the third <laughs> row. The one time I got hit in the legs, I was playing Pittsburgh my first year in the league. I caught, like, an out route. I turned to go upfield. I see Palomalo. I kind of lower my head for the hit. He goes so low, he flips me like a top. I spin like four times on the ground. My knee literally still hurts to this day oh, from that hit. But it's, been wow. the, it's the only time mm. that I was hitting. And I had no call for it. I had like zero reaction. Mm. I didn't know what to do. People didn't know that was a life hack on me. If you went for my legs, I would have not known what to do because I was just <laughs> not equipped and didn't have the experience to make a move or stop you from tackling me low. But no one ever did it, so I never had to worry about it. Troy was really good at going low. That was like his specialty. He He was so good. His ankles, his knees, his hips was so flexible. He could get down as low as a grasshopper and just wipe out your legs. He was amazing. I I loved watching him play. Obviously, he got the best of us in Cleveland a number of times, but he was fun to watch. He was fun to play against. But is Sherman right? Was there a way for Barry Church to hit Gronk without drawing a penalty or blowing out his knee? I don't think so. And maybe I'm a little bit of a homer because Barry Church is my friend. We went to school together. He came Toledo, to Toledo guy. Yeah, he shouldn't have been at Toledo. He's one of those guys when he came to school and like the first week of practice, he was like a, I was like a junior, 
And me and all my teammates were like, yo, that dude shouldn't be here. <laughs> he should be This is way too good for us. Exactly. But, uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. They are putting it in a, a weird situation because guys would honestly rather you hit them up high than low mm-hmm. because it affects the money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Long term. Now, I'm sure when, you know, Gronk is 45, 50, whatever that looks like, as most players, then you start to realize, like, oh, man. You know, getting hit in the legs is actually the better option long term. But mm-hmm. when you're in this this state you're yeah. in now and you're like trying to chase this money, knee injuries mm-hmm. affect the bottom line mm-hmm. drastically. Mm-hmm. So guys would rather get hit up top because I can fake a concussion. Mm-hmm. I can fake coming back. I can control that. I'm not worried about that right now. I'm worried about the money. So a knee injury will put you out six to nine months. Yes. Head injury, two weeks. Yeah. Like Gronk, he'll be back for the Super Bowl. He's out two weeks, maybe a week. He'll be practicing next week. He'll be ready for the Super Bowl. Exactly. Now, my O-lineman's perspective, which should hold no weight because I don't know <laughs> anything about this, but um, to me it looked like the distance Barry Church was away from Gronk didn't allow him enough time to change his targeting mm-hmm. from sort of that head neck area into his chest. And with that being said, I don't think he had enough time to go low on Gronk. Yeah. It was one of those plays that happened so quickly. It was so bang, bang, and Barry was so close that he didn't have a chance to really duck and, hit and go for him low, but um, I don't think it was a dirty hit. I think he did whatever he could to try to hit him and break up the ball, and I don't know if he had enough time to go any lower than he did. It's like, I mean, if we're being honest, what do you think? What, what, makes, what would make that a dirty hit? Like, I'm just curious because well, even He didn't have enough time to make it dirty. Do you think any player or person in the organization of the Jaguars or any coach is like, after the game, like, man... I really am upset that he helmet to helmeted Gronk. Let's, let's he, be honest. He was out the game. Let's be honest. That was the best option for everybody on the Jaguars, what? except for Barry Church. Now Barry's going to get a fifty thousand dollar fine or whatever it is in the mail from FedEx the next day. Mm-hmm. But it was a penalty of fifteen yards instead of a twenty twenty five yard reception. So automatically the Jaguars are going, "Nice job, you right. saved us ten yards," and they don't find the coaches. They're not finding anybody else in that defense. And Gronk's and not playing. Gronk's gone. He's gone. So, really, that was the best thing for everybody but Barry Church. Except the fact he'll get an extra million and a half in, in contract because he took he can hit so hard that he could knock big, yeah. bad Gronk out the game. That's right. Um, I'd like to pivot off of that and say the one rule I would like to see changed and looked at this offseason is the targeting of defenseless receivers' legs. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of injuries this year. Odell Beckham go down the line, different receivers that are getting their legs taken out. Uh, in 2012 or 13, Gronk tore his ACL against the Browns. Yep. T.J. Ward came in and made that hit low instead of going in that head-to-neck area on Gronk. Um, I think, like you mentioned, the legs, the knees are just as important to players' careers yeah. as the head is. And we need to, I think, think about eliminating the opportunity when a player can hit him in the, the chest – and a defensive player goes low. I, I think that's something that needs to be really seriously thought about taken out of the game. I just don't know where the like the sweet spot is. You know what I mean? Because if, if you eliminate going low, you eliminate going high, you almost eliminate the big hit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So what is it? Just like a, a midsection? And all that's yeah, going to take is a midsection. couple of lacerated kidneys. And then we're going to stop hitting there, too. So now you just like, – Well, then you pull their flag. You got to start tagging off, and man. you pull their flag, and they're down, right? Slap, maybe the, two slap the name plate on the back, and they're <laughs> automatically down, and you go yeah. back five yards. Yeah, I mean, the problem is the game evolves as these rules beco- come into effect. Like, 
Brady, those quarterbacks, they know that when Gronk is running down the field and he's got somebody in man-to-man and he's trailing him, he can throw that ball and he can lead him mm-hmm. because when that safety's coming in, he knows he can't take his head off anymore. Yeah. So they're going to take more of those risks throwing the ball down the field, across the middle, where in the old days in the NFL, a safety would come in and take your head off. But they know they can't do it anymore, so they can take that risk and they can make that throw. That's that's actually one of the things that I judge a quarterback on, that people don't do it, but – like, there's like certain like five markers that I watch a quarterback and judge whether I think he's good or not, and one of them is if they get their receivers blown up. Like usually if you see bang bang big plays, mm-hmm. people are like, oh man, what a great throw he got it there. The guy caught it and he got blown up. That was such good timing. I'm the opposite. Like I don't. <laughs> he got and, his guy killed. Yeah, he oh, yeah, got yeah, like yeah. the good quarterbacks don't get their guys killed consistently. There's there's quarterbacks out there that people think are good that every time their guys are getting blown up and they're mm-hmm. saying, oh he should have caught it. Like. No, stop throwing me the ball in the middle of an intersection. Yeah, exactly. I'm good there. Throw it somewhere else. Speaking of head injuries, the Panthers were cleared for following the concussion protocol with Cam Newton. What's your take on that, Joe? So I think we all saw what happened. Cam gets poked in the eye. He can't see, so he's trying to come off the field. He gets close to the sideline, and the coaching staff starts yelling for him to get down, right? So all the fans at home look at him and say, oh, he's probably got a head injury, right? Because he gets on the ground, he sort of rolls around in pain. The trainers take a look at him. He comes off the field, and then I think he ended up going back in the game and was not diagnosed with a concussion. And so all the armchair people at home are saying, (laughs) oh, the NFL didn't follow their own concussion protocol. Cam Newton shouldn't have been back in the game. He should have been evaluated for a concussion. But the NFL came back and said, No, he got poked in the eye, and the reason his team told him to get down was because they needed time to get Derek Anderson warmed up to get him in the game so they didn't have to waste a timeout. Do you think it was Cam faking? I don't think he was faking anything. He got poked in the eye. Did he? I didn't see. I I watched. I I feel like I watched the replay, and it didn't show him getting poked in the eye. So do you think that he actually had a concussion, but then he pretended he got poked in the eye after he went down? I don't know. I don't think he was that premeditated. I don't think he was that premeditated. So I— Honestly, if I was picking one, it would probably be he put some theatrics on from the beginning. Cam's known to be a little bit theatrical. Yeah, he likes the drama. That's kind of his thing. Yeah. He's wearing a visor. <laughs> so, it's like, so you're saying it's impossible to get poked in the eye when you're wearing a visor. <laughs> yeah, like you're wearing a motorcycle helmet yeah. and you got poked in the eye. That doesn't yeah. make sense. Well, my take on this is that I think the thought of the NFL's concussion protocol is good. I think protecting players, having an independent spotter. Mm-hmm. But we continue to have these situations like Tom Savage this year yeah. where the guy's clearly knocked unconscious. Everybody watching at home can see it. But for some reason, there is a break in the chain of communication. Mm-hmm. There's somebody on the sideline that's eating McDonald's instead of watching the game. Right. And these guys are getting put back in the game. Yeah. I, I mean, it's. I, I don't want to say it's happened to me, but I have been like not knocked unconscious, but I've been hit. And literally have lost memory for hours. You had a really bad concussion your last year in Cleveland, right? Yep. It was against St. Louis. Two though, years before, yep. So I had a concussion versus St. Louis. Um, one of the D-linemen picked a fumble up. I went to tackle him. He just lowered his head. <laughs> that was not very nice of him. That was not that very was nice. A, that was like one of the concussions. That was David and Goliath. I was like, man, I was out of it. And I'm like just staring off like, ooh, that one messed me up. And then they, someone must have seen me, so they got to me right away. The Browns yep. trainers got me out. Um, I ended up coming back a couple of weeks later being cleared um and then in, like freak accident not accident but football 
Johnny threw a pick. Mm-hmm. I went to go make a tackle. Didn't see another D line coming. He dove right at my head. Mm-hmm. Kind of just it was just like the Devontae. Oh, Adams, I remember that Thomas one. Davis thing. Yeah. Wasn't a fine. He didn't get suspended. Wasn't a big. It was literally the same. He literally dove at my head. Um, and I only know that because I seen the replay because I lost the memory from that time. Mm. I came to probably like midnight that night mm. and was like, "Where the hell am I at? Mm. Like, why am I in the hospital?" That's scary. And people had to explain to me what was going on and. Obviously, I went back and watched, but like, I didn't lose consciousness. I didn't. I wasn't knocked out, you know. And it was, I think they, from what I remember, they removed me from the game, and I went through the protocol, and they were like, he has a concussion, but I still don't think they knew how bad it was until like an hour after the game. I was still sitting in my locker, apparently, in my full pads, and I kept answering the same questions with the same answers. And they're like, oh, we should probably get this dude to the hospital. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's what like. You never know how concussions affect different people. That's that's the thing about concussions that are so tough because some people can go through. Like people don't realize when you have a concussion, you're operating on autopilot. So they always talk about, oh, that's the player's fault. Well, if he has a concussion, it's never the player's fault because when you have a concussion, you just go into autopilot. You just start saying whatever your autopilot answers are. You start going into whatever. So there's people who can play football games with concussions because they're literally not in their right mind. It's like being drunk. It's like being so drunk that you can't, you can't consciously make the right decisions. So it's literally never the player's fault. So any fan out there that says the player needs to do this or he has to do a better job of telling you, he's literally, when you have a concussion, you're out of your mind. It's done. You no longer can make your own decisions. It's always on the other person. So we had to do a better job with the protocol mm-hmm. and putting the parameters in place to never leave it up to the player can't because the when you have a concussion, yeah. you're on autopilot. I think what the NFL needs to understand is the concussion protocol has to be 100% to be considered a success. Yes. This is this is a pass-fail thing. Mm-hmm. You either get 100% of those guys that have been concussed off the field and they right. don't return until they're ready, or you don't. There's no, well, it's 95% of the time. We think it's doing a great job, but you know those right. 5% of those guys, we didn't really like those guys anyway, <laughs> so it didn't matter. And the NFL came out this week. And they were crying in their beer because media and fans were pointing to the Cam Newton situation and saying, see, the concussion protocol, it didn't work again. Well, if you're not 100%, you should expect that the fans and the media are going to start beating down your door and saying that this needs to be better because, you know what, we're humans too. They need to take care of us too. Just because we don't always affect their bottom line immediately when we get hit in the head doesn't mean that they shouldn't care about us like we're important human beings and every one of us matters. I couldn't do. I couldn't agree more. I now, think they did a terrible job of getting out in front of it. I I wanted to say this story quick too. Was um, I was listening to a podcast because you know now that we're an award winning podcast, yes. we uh, like to see what our competition is out there. I like mm-hmm. to hear what we're going against. And pardon my take is the number one sports podcast, and we're coming for you, boys. We're coming. And uh, Joe Rogan, your kids, he's your another wife. guy that has an excellent podcast out there. So I was listening to his podcast and. He had a guest on who was a former Navy Steel, um, Andy Stump. Mm-hmm. Like this guy puts on little squirrel suits and jumps out of planes at like thirty five thousand feet. He's a <laughs> he's like a base jumper. He does like real stupid stuff. Uh, but he was on and they were talking about MMA and the concussions you get in the special forces and the military. And mm-hmm. um, Joe Rogan made the comment that like if you get knocked out like Tom Savage did in the MMA, they don't even let you go back and start sparring with each other for like six months. Wow. Now, the NFL is putting a guy like Tom Savage back in the game in six plays. And then they're going to pat themselves on the back and, oh, look at this great concussion protocol we have. It works so well, but, yeah. you know, we don't get everybody, but I guess not everybody's that important. I think the NHL's protocol is like you get a concussion, you're out like three months or something. 
Or like you have to miss like it might see the three months or like thirty days mandatory. Like you don't come back before then. Because it I mean it is a big deal and and you have to kind of treat it that way. Um what else we got? We got oh we gotta get the playoffs. Playoffs. We gotta talk about playoffs? last week's games. Playoffs? Yeah. So Tom Brady and Bortles battled it out like we all thought they would in the AFC championship. <laughs> all right. Two best quarterbacks Whoa. in the league, according to uh, One and two. Timeouts. <laughs> I don't think so. If you were frozen for the last six oh. months and you came back to that statement, <laughs> you, you would <laughs> definitely check your head. You've definitely been concussed. Exactly. So, yeah, Tom Brady battled it out with Bortles. Brady pulled it out, thank God. Because <laughs> Tom Brady yeah. did what Tom Brady does. Because you would exactly. be never allowed back on air oh, if Bortles gosh, won that bro. game. If Bortles won that game, I would <laughs> I would have had to retire as a media personality. <laughs> I did pick the the Patriots, and I also picked the Vikings, um, which they got mollywopped. <laughs> like, I don't know. Caddy Wampus. Oh, my gosh. Big word, big by, word. By David Foles, which, well, again, we've all David picked. David Foles. Or the Nick old Foles. David Foles, one, one of those two Case guys. Keenum yeah. rivalry that we all we all love to tune wow. into. Uh, we digress. What, what are the picks? What are our records, Dan? We, we, all, went, we all went one and one. But what, are like right. a, what is our Minnesota. overall postseason record? I think mine is like, well, I only picked the Patriots right. So if I you're better, don't listen to Hawk. I'm three and eight. But as long as the Patriots win the Super Bowl – I'm good. Stats are like Bill Belichick said last week. Stats are for losers, <laughs> and you are a Final loser. Final scores in this game. <laughs> are for winners. So as long as the Patriots win, I'm a winner. Okay. Who did you pick to win the Super Bowl from the start? We're making our picks right now. Yeah. Or we're from the start. From the start of what? From the start of the Tomahawk Show season. I picked the Patriots oh, to win nobody, the Super Bowl. See, there's nobody no record of that. Any Super Bowl winners at the beginning of the season? I did. That's why you I keep signed saying with them. That, but nobody's ever seen this. <laughs> I picked them in March All when right. I signed with you. Them. You know what? <laughs> So <laughs> that's why I chose them over the, uh, oh, a couple of the other right, teams. Right, right. So look, you know, think about that though. Had I not retired, I'd be going to the Super Bowl and not to do podcasts. <laughs> we are going to the Super Bowl. We are going. Which to the Super which Bowl. leads us to our next topic. There we go. Uh, one thing I am really excited about on the Tomahawk Show is that next week. We're taking this award-winning show yeah. on SB the road. Nom- SB nominated. SB nominated, SB Grammy nominated, Oscar nominated. Pretty soon, that's coming next. Yeah. We are going to Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are going to be on Radio Row for two whole days first, interviewing our first tour. all the greatest stars in pro yes. football in the entertainment business, and we're going to be pumping out award-winning material hourly out there. Hourly. It's going to be amazing, man. It's the first stop of our worldwide tour. When you're a worldwide entity – you don't worry about what the what the sheep are out there saying locally. <laughs> you just you just go out there, you drop na- worldwide knowledge, and as soon as they make it available on Mars, we'll be the number one podcast. There no too. doubt, we'll be the first and the only and the number one on Mars. So we haven't had any guests yet, but I'm We're not going to reveal any of our names. But we have a star-studded lineup that is already committed to being on the Tomahawk Show, guys. That pardon my take. Joe Rogan, ESPN, oh, Fox, they you wish. name it. They wish they could they have wish they could these guys. But with the connections that No Face Dan has, we get everybody oh, we want on this NFD. show. NFD. Coming through in the clutch. Coming through always, man. So, yeah, we're excited about it. We'll be on Radio Row. Um, we're going to give you some video content, too. So make sure you tune in to uninterrupted.com. Um, we're going to be have our normal podcast release next week. So anywhere that podcasts are available, you'll be able to find us. Subscribe. Rate five stars. Tell all your friends. Steal your wives' phones, your cousins' phones, your nephews' nieces. <laughs> subscribe. Rate five stars. You know what? I, and I, I didn't. This isn't an announcement, but it kind of is. I think I'm going to give away floor seats to the Cavs 
at some point in the season. Oh, we have really? to figure out what the number is that wow. we, we want to get to with oh five goodness. star ratings. And I'm wow. going to give away uh, two floor seats to a Cavs game this year. They're actually my season tickets. What, what do they have to do? We just I had, we'll figure it out. Let's let's get on okay. Twitter. We'll talk right. about it. You guys give us suggestions of what we should do to give away the the tickets. Maybe it's the person who got who generates the most five star ratings from their inner circle. <laughs> you get to go to a floor. I game. like it. I Hashtag like tomahawk. Time. Hashtag tomahawk. Um, talk to us. Yeah. Again, always we appreciate you, Joe. Take us out, man. What do you got, guys? Uh, I had fun today, but like I said, my real excitement is coming for next week. Taking this show on the road. I think we're going to have amazing guests, amazing topics, and we're going to have a lot of fun. All right. Indy, like we always do. Joe Hawk yourself. Joe Hawk yourself, guys. Thanks for coming.